This is our foundation scripture for it. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So the premise is how you think in your heart or thinking comes from your heart, that whatever's going on in your heart is the, the housing or the utility of where uh, your thoughts are derived. So I put it on your notes, a book by Dr. Caroline Leaf that says, Who Switched Off My Brains? I gave my, my copy away and I need to order another one. But she's got a great podcast and also a YouTube channel um, and just some real insight into how the brain works and, the, and how the mechanics, all the mechanics of thinking and, and uh, thought work. But I thought this was interesting in one of her study that she determined that 12 minutes a day of focused prayer over eight weeks can be measured on a brain scan, meaning that before this 12 weeks, they did a brain scan and whatever the things that they found. Thank you, buddy. I'll be pecking around on his. Oh. So what they did was they figured out that there was a look of the brain, and then they did an eight-week study of 12 minutes a day of focused prayer and did the scans again. And what they found out that there was a noted difference in the appearance of the brain. And so there's just kind of some kind of encouragement there to know that all that I'm going to talk about tonight is that prayer has an impact not only on our relationship with the Lord, but us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So prayer touches the heart of God and can change the chemistry of the brain. Now, I'm not going to get too deep in this because I just don't have a lot of knowing on it. So I'm going to kind of skim the surface of it and give you some uh, definitions. Like this first one is, is neuroplasticity. It's the ability of the nervous system to change its activity in response to intrinsic or extrinsic stimuli by recognizing its structure, function, and connections. Let me reword that. I knew I was missing it. Reorganizing its structure, function, and connection after injury, such as a stroke or traumatic brain injury. Have you ever noticed somebody that had um, an injury of that type, and then over time in therapy, they regained speech or they regained uh, clarity in their thinking and so forth, and that's what neuroplasticity is. It's that regeneration of our brain to function in a healed manner, and that would make sense. Um, I'm going to use this example a couple of times tonight, but I cut myself and I can't even find it. It was right here. And I don't even, have you ever like got a cut and you're like, where did that come from? I didn't even feel it happen. And just one day, I looked down the other day, I was like, man, I just sliced my skin open. Well, right now you can even see from probably where you're sitting that there's no cut still there. It healed. Our bodies are designed to recover and to heal, and God also designed our brain and our thinking to be healed physically, but then also emotionally and spiritually. So I'm going to give you some things to think on. So our brain has millions of what are called neural pathways. I mentioned this in in the first week of this series. A neural pathway is, for instance, if you have a negative thought towards something, 
the next time you have that ability to have that thought, if you've already had it that direction, it's easier to go down that path. Think about a road. Have you ever seen like a road that has tire tracks in it? And over time, what happens, those tire tracks become more pronounced, where you definitely see the path of where a vehicle would go. And that's how neural pathways work as well, is that they become a way of thinking that once you have that thought, the, continua the continuation of that thought creates pathways that are more pronounced. So Dr. Caroline Lee's proposal is that in the same manner that negative neural pathways that lead us in negative directions can be healed and we can have positive, or let me also say spiritual and biblical pathways, neural pathways in our mind and in our heart that lead to life and freedom. That prayer and the word of God can change those neural pathways. Have you ever just continually struggled with a way of thinking? Maybe it was self-image. Maybe it was a, an attitude toward a situation or a person. Or maybe it was just something that you always just got in the mully grubs over, over something in particular. And the idea is that through 12 minutes of daily prayer over an eight-week period, and I'm just doing what... Dr. Caroline Lee's study is, that you can change those neural pathways where they lead in one direction and have them lead in a completely different direction. And you might think, well, Jonathan, that just kind of sounds like high pie idealistic thinking, but as I said, brain scans have shown that this kind of thinking or this type of daily lifestyle has an impact on us physically. Let me show this to you in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world. And I've used this before in this, in this series, but I want to point out two different things. Fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial, superficial customs. And let me, let me just say this. If you were like just a I was watching something just, just today, and it was a person whose mindset was very, very worldly. And you just, when you hear their words, you hear their thought pattern, you hear the way they think, you're like, are you just dumb? I mean, just don't look at anybody in the room if you've ever thought here. But, but then I thought, I mean, can you really just have that kind of thinking that is just so shallow, so godless, so uh, self-serving, and this is, the, the scripture tells us that the mind of the flesh, that the mind of the, uh, the, the uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be fashioned after, let me read the next part, but watch this, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude. Look at the next part of the verse, so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God for you? And I added that. Even the things which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I didn't quite understand the last part of that scripture, but let me read it, to the, just the last part in the Passion. That this will, empowering you to discern God's will 
as you as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Before I go any further, let me make this proposal that a lot of the things that we deal with, whether fear, stress, or anxiety, is all underneath the idea that life is not going as we planned it to. That those ideas are underneath the shadow of this is not how I thought it would turn out. This is not how I thought it would be. This is not how I thought I would be. But the word says that when we live in that place of the transformed mind, that we live in a place that no matter what we might be going through, that we understand, can I read it again? That this will, and I'm sorry I didn't put it on the screen, empowers you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life. Don't raise your hand, but who in here just says, Jonathan, I have a beautiful life. I have a beautiful life. I mean, there may be times when we think that that our life is blessed, but this says every part of our life is beautiful, satisfying, and perfect in his eyes. It's a different way of thinking because many times we've I'm getting ahead of us. We've trained ourselves to believe that life is a struggle that we just are trying to manage. Let me give you this other um, vocabulary. The amygdala. It is commonly thought to be the form, to form the core of a neural system of processing fearful and threatening stimuli, including the detection or of threat of actions, I'm losing my place, detection of threat and activation of appropriate fear-related behavior in response to threatening or dangerous stimuli. Now, let let me just break it down. The amygdala is this part of us that is anticipating something bad happening. I'm going to illustrate this in a second. That this amygdala, this core of thinking, is rooted in that my life is not beautiful. It's not God-authored and sponsored. It's not going in the right direction. It's going to have things that are going to throw me off track. And thus, it inspires or produces fear and anxiety in us. And I think that might be your next feeling, that anxiety, fear, and stress come from this part of the brain. So this amygdala is a place inside of us that is responsive to fear. Now let me stop right here and revisit a couple of weeks ago. That fear and that anxiety comes from a place where we don't like not being in control. And every part of our life, listen to this, every part of our life must be surrendered to who God is. Let's keep going. I'll, I'll clarify that in a second. So next verse, uh, Romans 8, same uh, book of the Bible. Now the mind of the flesh, and I used this one a couple of weeks ago as well, but I want to point out something. But the mind of the flesh, which it senses and reasoning without the Holy Spirit, is death. Now, 
once again, I don't want to re-illustrate that, but you can just put there, it doesn't have any life in it. That's easy to understand. That the mind of the flesh, the mind of this world, the mind of our natural carnal nature, human nature, is death. There's no life in it. Lost my place. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter, but the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace, both now and forever. Here's what happens. The amygdala is that alarm part of the brain which we use to reset the atmosphere of our hearts. I explained a couple of days, oh, weeks ago that pain is an indication in our physical body that something is not right. Anxiety, fear, uncertainty, all those other things are an indication that something is not right in our heart. And so we can say with certainty that having an anxious thought, dealing with uh, depressive, depressive thoughts or so, that's not sin. Just like pain doesn't mean that you're, you know, not whole. It's an indication. It's a, it's a light on the dashboard that those are indications to us that something in our heart is not right. And let me illustrate it this way. Anybody, when you were a kid, were you afraid of the dark? So my brothers used to torment me there was some movie that this creepy guy wore dark aviator sunglasses. And it was just, I don't remember the name of the movie. I just remember it was creepy. I know he creeped me out. And so they would torment me by saying outside the bedroom window was the man with the dark glasses. And that was all I needed to go screaming to mom or whatever I did to just be thrown in a tither because the man with the dark glasses was outside the window now, I'm 50, and I live by myself, and wouldn't you think it was a little bit silly if I still was running away from windows because I thought the man with the dark glasses were outside that, my window? Yes. Let me answer that for you. Yes. What happened? Well, you were an idiot kid, <laughs> Jonathan. What happened was that part of the amygdala that produced fear matured over time and dealt with truth and probability. <laughs> What's the probability that the man with the dark glasses is outside my bedroom in Fort Worth, Texas? I mean, it's just dumb. <laughs> But what happened when we were exposed to truth, it changes how we think in our minds and then in our hearts. And so it is with the truth of God's word that things that at one point in our life produce fear and threats and uncertainty and anxiety, depression and so forth, under the light and the truth of God's word, become irrational. And I don't, I don't mean, I'm not trying to say this to be uh, insulting, but what are we, including me, what are we being fearful of right now? And whatever we are being fearful of right now is under the same principle 
of the man with the dark glasses outside the window. It's just the probability <laughs> of it being harmful is probably pretty small. So in the same way, we deal with that fear today under the light of the truth of the mind controlled by the Spirit of God. So unfortunately, we have, can train our brains to be anxious. When I, I, we used to have a, I used to work with a guy and say, how's it going? I think his name was Bob. How's it going, Bob? And he'd say, it's bad and it's getting worse. <laughs> yeah, how's it going, Bob? It's bad and it's getting worse. Well, what kind of anticipation of life is that? That it's bad, and not only is it bad, but it's getting worse. We train ourselves to anticipate the, the neural pathway of the wrong direction, but your mindset is what you do with it daily. And that's the premise of Dr. Caroline Lee saying that 12 minutes a day of focused prayer over an eight-week period has can visibly, under brain scan, change the chemistry and the mechanics of how we think. What happens there, Jonathan, is there just some magic in 12 minutes a day? And you can do more than 12 minutes. But is there just some magic? In, no. It's a mind that's influenced, as Romans said, by the Holy Spirit. And what happens is that the Holy Spirit takes those neural pathways and sends them toward the heart of God. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. That we often don't surrender our thoughts and our hearts because we like or want to be in control. My sister showed me a post today of somebody that was hurt long, long ago. And to this day, this person is still posting about hurt that happened long, long ago. And in all kindness and, and, uh, and sincerity, I'm like, darling, you're going to continue to hurt from that because you like being in control. In a way, people like remaining victims. And so what happens is that they have deep ruts in neural pathways that lead to, I was hurt, I was broken. And so it has defined me this many decades later. And I'm still dealing with it. I'm still talking about it. And I go back to when I was, when I was what was I, 10, when I, I broke this right. And you can see this elbow is more pointed than this one. I don't know. Maybe God knew I was going to be a teacher, and so I can point with that elbow. See, it's more pointed there. Now you're never going to not look at my pointed elbow. But what happens was I broke it here, and they put pins in it and all that other funky stuff when I was 10. It fell off a ladder. And would it be silly if I was still wearing a sling from when I was 10 years old? Yes, let me, let me say yes. And the reason it would be silly that I would be wearing a sling 40 years after breaking my arm 
is because two things. One, Jonathan, your arm is healed. Now, there, there's little scars where they put the pins in, but it's healed. It's functionable. So it is with people that like being in control, and they wear their brokenness as, as, as a badge of honor. And it defines them to the point where healing can't occur because they're so used to being hurt. We did a, Ryan and I did a series not too long called Beautiful Scars. It doesn't d- discount that it happened. The scars are there. But the scars don't dictate the full functionality of what your life is supposed to be. And so it is with the condition of our heart that God designed our heart, our thinking, to be healed at some point, to process, to heal, to to go forward in it, that this becomes the breeding ground of anxiety and fear and so forth. Let me say this that it would be silly if my arm was still broken 40 years later. That would be ridiculous. And with all, with all sensitivity, it's ridiculous that people still live with the pain of something so long ago. Because you were designed to be healed from that. It doesn't mean the memory's gone. It doesn't mean that from time to time you, you know, get a little ache or something or whatever. That doesn't mean. But the healing should have happened. But when we allow that mind to be controlled by the flesh, and we like to be in control, and we like to be a victim, then it's the breeding ground for anxiety. It's the breeding ground of fear. This is why Jesus said here, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Our hearts if our hearts never experienced burdens, Jesus would have not needed to say this. But because our our hearts do experience burdens, then the invitation is made. Come to me if you're weary, heavy laden, or overburdened. And then I'll do my part. I'll do my powerful part, and I'll give you rest. I'll relieve you. I'll refresh you. If you need you, it's just a refreshing, a refreshing from time to time. And Jesus gives that invitation. Come to me and I'll give you. But Jesus already knows that our hearts need refreshing and he becomes the answer. When we talk about thoughts from the heart, the heart is the seat of Jesus' lordship in our lives. And if he's seated as Lord in our lives, then it's natural good and to be expected that he would always bring healing where he sits. I love what Joyce Meyer says, that Jesus wants to heal you everywhere you hurt. 
that everywhere we hurt, that Jesus wants us to recognize that we've been hurt, we've been disappointed, it's been a tough, tough road, whatever it is. But in the midst of that, where he's seated, he'll bring healing. Matthew, uh, the next verse, Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle, meek and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease of refreshment and recreation, blessed, quiet for your soul. Before I read that, the next verse in this, doesn't it make sense then that when you take that time, like Dr. Caroline Leaf said, of the 12 minutes a day, and I don't suggest you like put a stopwatch on your phone. <laughs> I mean, you probably have to go to school or work eventually. So, but don't twelve. I'm going to prove you, prove you, Jonathan. Twelve minutes. Ready, set, go. All right, Jesus, here I am. Do your thing. <laughs> but you really know. You know what it really is. And I've said this already, in a way. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of shutting out everything else and telling the Lord, you're in control. You're the captain of this ship. You, you, know, all of my, you know all of my days. And what happens right there, what he promised, he said, I'll ease and relief and refresh you. He says, take my yoke. And then and he goes on to say that my yoke, the burden the, the bird, burden, let me put burden in quotes, the burden I put on you is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, not hard, not sharp or pressing, but comfortable, gracious and pleasant. My burden is light and easy to be borne. How much of the yoke are we carrying that Jesus never asked us to carry? Let me say it a different way and make sure it's not my next fill-in. We place unrealistic expectations on our lives that God never authored. We place expectations on how people were supposed to behave. We place expectations on how uh, people were supposed to treat us. And we don't have any control over that. Trying to control how people react to you is a lesson in futility. But that place of surrender, that place of, of, the, of God, that, pla that place is that I'm not taking on any yoke that he did not author. Can I say it a different way? Every yoke he authors is easy and light and easy to be born. So if I'm burdened, if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm anxious, I can clearly and unequivocally say it is not from him. It is not his doing. He would never put something on me that would overwhelm me. And then the next one, what have, you, um, what have we burdened ourselves with never came from him? And I'm, I'm going back to this, just I guess this is the Holy Spirit we place expectations on our lives that are unrealistic. We place, place expectations of our family life that are unrealistic. We place expectations of our physical life that are unrealistic. Uh, 
We place expectations on our place in life, our careers that are unrealistic. When we do, when we do any of that, it's as if we're saying, God, you forgot. <laughs> you know, if I sat you down and I said, I'm just believing God to grow hair on the top of my head. Would you stand in prayer with me? Join hands with me right now. And let's pray that God restores hair on the top of my head. <laughs> and some of you all would be so gracious to do that. Yes, I'll pray with you. But what's the reality? That's an unrealistic expectation. And let me take it a step further and you know, become very comfortable with my head. <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but when I would teach school and I'd be in the hallway, I have to clean my head because inevitably I'd just be walking down. Sam, you, you know, the, and kids just walk by and they put their paw right on top of your head. So got to keep it clean because I get oily skin. And So it would be an unrealist expectation for that. But here's another thing. It would be in a vain expectation. I'm fine being bald. There's no medical, what do you call it, inhibition to being bald. And how much of what we expect from life is vain futility. That we really, we really, um, whether it's our parents or our family or our income or whatever it might be, is vain futility because we think it could be better. And what would happen if God, if God showed up, if Jesus showed up and he said, your life is exactly where I designed it to be. You're exactly where I, where I have you. You're exactly what I planned out for you. Well, here's the truth. He does say that. It's my job to put my faith in it and live in the freedom of knowing he hasn't, he hasn't missed anything. Call to me, Jeremiah 33, and I will answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things, fenced in and hidden, which you do not know, that you don't distinguish and recognize, have knowledge of or understand, that there are things in prayer that can be healed that God only knows what he's doing. I think, I think that's what happens. I think that when we spend that time before his presence, that he heals us in places we don't even realize. That he restores us in areas we didn't have any ind indication we were needing to be restored there. That that, that time of, of focused prayer comes for that. That prayer is that supernatural inter intervention on our brains and our hearts. That the series is, as you think in your heart, that thinking thoughts of the heart, that prayer becomes the vehicle, prayer becomes the avenue, the conduit, where the supernatural encounters us. You're saying, Jonathan, um, how can that be? Well, I, I supernaturally have that cut gone. Maybe it was this end. No, it was this one. It's gone. I didn't even have to tell my body to heal it. I didn't have to pray to Jesus and say, please heal this cut. 
It happened. The supernatural happened. And prayer becomes that place where the supernatural happens. Anxiety is the signal that tells me, take it to God. That when I have that anxious thought, that fearful thought, that wayward thought, that uncertain thought, that depressive thought, that that's my signal, that's my cue, take it to God. You know, can I prove it to you? Jesus, in the morning, long before daylight, he got up and he went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. I doubt his first words to his father were, do you know that I am your son? (laughs) Do you know that I am the chosen one? (laughs) Whatever he said. Jesus, all God, all man, set aside his deity to live as a man, the son of man, because he wanted to demonstrate to us what we needed to do. And what did he do? in the early morning, and this is just what he did, he found a, it said a deserted place. You know, I think, I think that we can probably say this, you don't have to go find a deserted place, it wouldn't hurt, but I can say it this way, he found a place with no distractions. And he prayed. And what did it do? It reset his heart. Refocused his heart. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just believe right now that you're ministering to us each in a different way. And maybe somebody watching online is is hearing something come alive on the inside of them for the first time. And we're just grateful to you for it. So, Lord, we just make a commitment right now. And if you'll make this commitment with me, that we just make sure that every day that we set aside that time to refocus our hearts. And not just for eight weeks, (laughs) But from here on, we make that commitment, God, to set that time, to take out all the distractions of the world and focus on you in Jesus' name.